0: Hello and welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. Today we'll be talking about Nohiko Obayashi's debut feature film, House. Not to be confused with the 1986 film House or the medical drama House M.D. Hi, I'm Tim M. Sullivan, and with me I have. Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman.
1: Ryan Conversey. I'm Joseph Renick.
0: Ethan Hawker. Andy Trufenbach. And so we have a special guest with us today. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what you do? Sure. So, I run DestroyTheBrain.com, but I also run a couple of events in St. Louis called Late Night Grindhouse and Horror Trivia Night. We also do a podcast. Uh, too too much stuff, probably. But <laughs> Yeah, we, we do a lot of things for the, hopefully, for the horror community here in St. Louis. We've been doing Late Night Grindhouse for over 12 years now, so it's a theatrical program. I, I assume Tim's bringing me on because this was the closer of the 12-hour marathon this past May.
0: Yeah, yeah, I figured uh, you might want to talk a little bit about that. You'd have some things to say about it. But yeah, I've been going to Late Night Grindhouse since um, I think October 2018 was the first one, uh, The Blob. Yeah. It's, it's a real cool event. Uh, if you're in the area, you should check it out. But yeah, as I mentioned before, we are talking about house uh, soup or house, uh, depending on how you want to say it. House. Have you seen the film? Any history with it? Uh, If not, uh, what expectations did you have uh, going in? We'll start with Andy.
2: All right, so... The first time I heard about this movie was in the early 2000s and it was very, very, very difficult to get. I think I actually heard about it through some theatrical programmers across North America that were trying to show it. Some people may have showed it without acquiring the rights but the only way to really see it is theatrically or through bootleg DVDs and the bootleg DVDs were that were out there the image quality was fine but the sub titles were very handmade for <laughs> For English speaking. They were very broken, and it was just, you know, it, it was still a cool experience, but obviously I, I'm always jealous of people who get to see it the way I think a lot of people have seen it, where it's, you know, the Blu-ray from Criterion Collection, which kudos to them for cracking the code on the rights and everything, because Toho is always a difficult company to work with. No soup for you! And I think that was a lot of hesitation to essentially get this movie out in front of a mass audience of eyeballs almost 30 years later, which is insane. But yeah, I mean, I I remember seeing it, uh, I think I saw it at Webster theatrically Mm -hmm. when they showed it and I I was blown away. I just love this movie so much. (laughs) Even though I love Suspiria, it's like this weird companion piece to Dario Argento's Suspiria. It's a fairy tale, but it's Told in its own way. I'm not saying it's like trying to riff off of it, but like you, at times when you watch it, you just kind of feel these echo moments, as I call them. And it, it feels like this. Perfect companion piece to it.
0: Awesome. So yeah, next we'll go with uh, Ethan, and I understand you have uh, a little more experience with Obiashi's works beyond House.
3: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sort of lucky um, in that sense. Um, the first film I watched from him was not actually House; it was um, his adaptation of the novel, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. It's sort of, sort of in in a fashion maybe more similar to to Andy's, with kind of not great subtitles, and it's not a, wasn't a great copy of the film in terms of like his experience with House, but um, I, I watched it after watching the Mamoru Hosoda film, which is sort of a loose sequel to that novel. Um, and I really love um, Obayashi's work. It was interesting because House, I'll discuss this in greater detail, but it's not really like a lot of his other work. E- even from some of the other films I've seen, like the film he made that same year, The Visitor in the Eye, which is actually a um, an adaptation of Osamu Tezuka's manga, Blackjack. It's very conventionally shot, but then you have this manga man, this person in cosplay interacting with all these completely normal looking people. So you get a little bit of that. But no, I've, I've fallen in love with a lot of his works. Uh, school in the Crosshairs, which is a great film about like espers in school. His one anime film that he directed, uh, Kenya Boy, which is a, a weird sort of thing that I have a lot of affection for. I really want to watch more of his stuff. And probably the thing that has the closest analog to this film, uh, The Drifting Classroom, which is an adaptation of a manga by Kazuo Umez, um, which is weirdly like it has an international cast. It's partially in English. But uh, the, the last thing I wanted to say was uh, last year, right before I started my job at the Webster Film Series, I got to see his war trilogy on the big screen when it was screened at Webster. These three hour long epics, sort of anti war films, casting blossoms to the sky seven weeks and Hanagatami, the film that, you know, 40 years after making House, his first feature script he finally got to make and it's it's Brilliant. All three of those films are like, you would think that somebody who's so DIY, switching over to like digital working methods, like it, there might be a, a bit of a clunk, but uh, it's so good. But going going back to House, um, I'd, I'd have it sort of built up to me, um, and I was sort of familiar with the director, despite not really having this concept of Obayashi as an auteur until fairly recently, but um, I saw House and I really, really enjoyed it. I feel like the, the punch of it isn't quite as visceral as maybe when I first watched it, having not seen like a lot of other contemporary effects stuff from Japan or a lot of horror manga in particular that it seems to uh, borrow its strange sort of stream of consciousness tone, but um, it left a big impact. Um, and revisiting it was really fun this time uh, just to appreciate the visuals as well as to appreciate just the levels of influence going on here. It clearly has its claws, uh, its, its fangs <laughs> sunk very deeply into a Japanese popular culture. And revisiting it was a treat.
0: Awesome. Yeah, next we'll go with Austin. Back in 2014, when
4: I was in film school, I was a sophomore and my MO was to get everybody to hang out outside of class. Well, I wanted them to just party together. And I had a shitty little studio apartment and a disgraceful CRT TV, but we could smoke indoors. So I would have people over for these big parties and I just tried to compensate for the small screen by screening things I thought would be interesting to people. Grand Budapest Hotel was the opener, but then it was like under the skin, Santa Sangre building up to house. And I'll never forget a whole room reacting to Mr. Togo turning into a pile of bananas. But, you know, I'm eight years older now. I know a lot more about film and I kind of hope for this rewatch. I could approach this like psychedelic nightmare from a more academic angle. And I think I succeeded. Uh, Thanks to the lovely maniacs over at Criterion. More on that later. Back to you, Tim.
0: Hell yeah. All
5: right. Uh, Joe, let's go with you. The viewing that we had for this podcast is uh, my second time viewing it. My first time was a year before I went to Webster, I had watched this at the recommendation of Adam Johnston, a.k.a. Your Movie Sucks, because I think he had had like a video of like horror movies that he he would recommend to people. I think Martyrs was like another one. I loved it. <clears throat> I loved the soundtrack, which leads me to my fun little anecdote. And so my first job was I was a dishwasher at a local grocery store called hy V, and they would let me play music in the, the back room. Room where I would wash the dishes. One of the managers from like a different department came back and he had heard the music because I was playing the house soundtrack. And he's like, this music is weird, but I like it. What? What is this? And I was telling him, oh no, it's from this movie called House, it's from Japan. I would highly recommend it. It's a very solid movie. Little did I know that he would actually take that recommendation and watch it because the next week, he came back the same time, different day. He puts his plate down and he looks over at me. What the fuck did you just recommend to me? Oh, man. I loved it, but what the fuck? <laughs>
0: I mean, that's the correct response. Is I loved it, but what the fuck? I'm
5: I'm, I'm just glad that he liked it, and that was that's where it ends. That's that's awesome.
0: Rain. I understand that this was a first time watch.
1: Yeah, my first time hearing about the movie was in high school. My friend who you know knew all the cool movies, knew knew everything about movies. It seemed like, especially for like a high schooler, he uh, was telling me it, gushing about it. and I was like, yeah, I'll get around to it. He's that same person who actually uh, who introduced me to "It's Such a Beautiful Day," uh, the subject of last week's podcast. Yeah, I knew I would love the movie, but just, there's a lot of movies, okay? That's why it took me, like, six years, I want to say, five years, many years to finally get around to watch this movie. I watched it, um, I want to say, like, two, three days ago. This has been a, not a great year for me as a whole, but, but a pretty great year for me for finding just, like, great movies. This is, uh, never a personal favorite. Just... Amazing time. That is my history. Also, the only other thing I've seen from this director, I did actually see one of his commercials. Uh, it was one of his clone commercials he did with Charles Bronson, uh, Mandom, I think it was called. I know about it because they reference it in, in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure.
3: Hell yeah. I, I have words about Mandom later because there, <laughs> there's a wild connection there that rules.
0: Yeah, I mean, my history with the movie, I think I first heard about it on uh, the Tsunami Preflight podcast. Like they would talk about various movies that would go along with various themes and I can't remember what it was that they were talking about specifically, but they brought up House and they played the Criterion trailer for it. I checked it out uh, not too long after that and I wasn't quite sure what I'd seen, but I watched it a few more times since then and I've grown to love it uh, more and more each time. I did get to see it at the Late Night Grand House Marathon. I also saw it a few weeks earlier at the um, screening they did at Arcaden for the 10th Life charity thing. Yeah, the cat so. charity. <laughs> yeah. Both were fun for their own reasons. Like, the Late Night Grand House one was just, like, a great capper to this big, long event. And with, um, the Arcadian one, it was funny watching it there because, like, in the bar you could just hear, like, punk bands playing over the sound of the movie. <laughs> so it was just the unique soundtrack of that particular screening. Um, I showed my girlfriend it, uh, when we went there and, uh, She absolutely loved it. It's just it's just a lot of a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So let's talk about it. Uh, we'll start with Austin. Uh, even before
4: I saw this film for the first time, uh, you get that internet pitch. This was like the post-criterion age where we, we have the luxury of easy access, you know? They pitched it on a thread as like, it was a horror movie where they tried to show nightmares the way the kids experience nightmares. And that's a tall order if you think about it. Like, I immediately think of that Roland Penrose thing that he said Pablo Picasso said in like a fucking book or something. That line where he's like, oh, when I was the age of these children I could draw like Raphael, but it took me so many years to learn to draw like these children. You know, that very concept of capturing that like half-baked impression of reality that children carry requires you to embrace the surreal, but more importantly, which is a thing I think Obayashi nailed, it requires you to abandon a lot of your fucking shame. One of the seeds of inspiration for House was a short story that Chiho Katsura used as a reference when he was penning the screenplay. It's this 1947 short story uh, called The Riddle by Walter D. lamare where these seven children go to live with their grandma, and the grandma's like, hey, kids, don't go in the room with the giant trunk, and one by one, those little shitlords go into the evil trunk room, and then before they get, you know, eaten by the trunk, they have some kind of flight of childlike fancy where they imagine themselves doing something else. It's like a spin on Willy Wonka, but instead of kids getting destroyed when they act like jerks, it's kids getting absolutely wrecked by their own imaginations in this though there's that palpable specter of, of world war ii at the center of things an element taken from obayashi's experience as a poor kid who was seven years old when most of his close childhood friends died because american dogs bombed the capital of the prefecture he lived in the kids in this movie have no idea how precious peacetime is as is demonstrated kind of when they talk over the grandma's backstory the tone that they take when all that's going on and like it's an interesting creative exercise when you add up all the pieces Obayashi's daughter, Jigumi, uh, seen in this movie, Shining Shoes, uh, gave her father a lot of the ideas for the kill scenes based on bad vibes she got from objects in her childhood. Like one time she was lifting a futon outside to dry and she thought it was heavy. So in this movie, a girl gets dumped on by flying futons. House is like a movie directly sourced from the childhood nightmares of a father and his daughter. Obayashi brought a childhood lived in the shadow of the bomb and his daughter brought sparks of inspiration from day to day anxieties of being a child in the modern material world. I knew before now that like House is a great movie for getting fucked up and watching it with your friends. But I think beneath all the intentionally broken special effect shots and the kooky plot twists, this movie is still kind of noteworthy 45 years later because it explores the fears of children without limiting the intensity of the on-screen fantasy carnage. Just like how when kids have nightmares, those things aren't suddenly rated PG because they're happening in a kid's mind. It's a marketing catch-22 and an artistic triumph, hence the cult status. Uh, in conclusion, it's a rare kind of movie with a lot going for it. Back to you, Tim.
0: Yeah, the other day, I was watching uh, the little documentary thing on the Criterion Blu-ray uh, Constructing a House Yeah um, and they were ta- they were talking all about the ways that his daughter was inspiring the story and that was really interesting to hear about like I love this story about how like uh, she was playing piano and she had the the strict instructor that was like slapping her hand mm-hmm. and then at one point she got her fingers pinched in the keys and that turned into a piano fucking eating a character It turned into uh, Mario
4: 64 <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just so wild. Yeah, we'll we'll go to Rain next. Oh uh, yeah. Simply put, uh, it's
1: one of my new favorite films. I've only been exposed to it for like two or three days. Just just like a childlike lead to it all. Um, not only again in how it was made, but um, I don't know. It, it kind of feels like if these kids were just like telling like a campfire story like a spooky campfire story. And then one of these kids who's just, I don't know, very good with filmmaking, made a movie out of it. Something I really love about this movie is there's just no attempt at uh, realism, just uh, completely uh, embracing the artificiality of it all. (laughs) I appreciate how it sticks to having just a very simple story, but then just using like every cinematic that they could think of to just make this the most uh, emotionally visceral and also just charming experience. It it makes me want to pick up a camera and and make stuff. I don't even like using the camera. I might make my friends do that part, and I do the other parts. I'm also, I just really wanna know like, I'm really curious like what is, like how much of this was done in post, as far as like, where like the ideas, how much of it came in post, how much of it was storyboarded, how much of it was, it was thought up on set, like stuff like that. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. I, there's not many films I can think of that compete with it as far as just like a sheer quantity of just like creative energy. It's amazing, I, I'm gonna, excited to watch some more of this guy's filmography.
0: Hell yeah, all right. Andy, let's go ahead and hear uh, what you got to say about- the film.
2: So, yeah, no, House is definitely one of a kind. I think it's a great film to, like, I love showing movies to people, hence why I do a theatrical program right I've already chased the dragon in the genre I've seen a lot of films what's great about this director is I love this film but I I haven't been able to explore most of his other work and a lot of that is just me being lazy but a lot of it is his work is not very accessible for uh, consumption luckily like Third Window just put out the Anti-War Trilogy and you can see some of his work on YouTube, including the the sci-fi film, what was it? The Visitor in the Eye, I think. That's like a sci-fi movie that's on YouTube. You can check it out, and it actually doesn't look bad. But, With that said, uh, House is—it was always sold to me and compared to Dario Argento's Suspiria, which is why I said that at the beginning. And it's basically a Grimm's fairy tale with this weird Scooby Doo construct. (laughs) But what I love about it is the visual flair to the film, and obviously the soundtrack just rips. Like those songs will—they're definite earworms that get stuck in your head. And it's funny you had that story about like playing the music over. The uh, like the intercom at the grocery store because some of that stuff fits and then some of it's just like okay what is this like I could totally hear the whistle while you know shopping for bread or something <laughs> but this movie is just one of those things that I think when you introduce people to the genre and what it has to offer and specifically I'm talking about horror fantasy stuff this is one of those films that is greater down the line but just to kind of show you oh yeah so okay you get the the basic gist of the subgenre but here's something that blows everything out of the water. But it, it, what's great about it is it does have this childlike kind of fairy tale aspect to it that you can easily identify with it. it. It is a palatable movie, it's very overwhelming. There's a lot to digest out of it, but it's still something you can watch and not be totally thrown off of because you're still kind of there for this core story that is not as foreign as some of the visuals. Also, like one of my favorite directors is Mario. Bava, who's a technical genius with camera work. And what's cool about House, or House, uh, is the fact that like he employs animation, he employs, like, there's blue screen in here, which was something that wasn't done very, very widely in 77. And the fact that he's like, oh, well, how else is this piano gonna, like, chop this girl's fingers off? Well, we'll just do blue screen. And, and then, like, it's just... There's so much to watch that I feel I hope it doesn't get lost in future generations that like this guy has made this film in 1977 and you go look at like one year later is John Carpenter's Halloween. I think it's always great to say this is a film that was made at this time and I want you to think about other films around this time to hopefully capture and understand like how amazing this film is but yeah no i'm a huge fan of house uh i try to watch it like right before summer vacation because that's what they're doing is going on summer vacation so i was very happy to book it for the last film but funny you mentioned the Arcade thing was like because everything was a secret screening I I couldn't, like, come out and say, oh, I booked it too, but it was good for a charity. (laughs) And it's also, it was a nice way out if people wanted Hmm. to, like, duck out of the marathon earlier.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, awesome. Next we'll go with Joe.
5: Yeah, no, it's solid. This movie feels very dreamlike in its presentation. It's very whimsical as someone who's been dealing with night terrors and... Possibly now insomnia. This was kind of an effective horror movie in that regard. Outside of that, I love that in certain cases um, the film is not afraid to show its technical shortcomings. There's a lot of stuff that looks a little wonky, but because of the fantastical nature of just everything that's going on, it, it it's actually very effective. I'm also very glad that I'm not the only one who was getting a uh, Suspiria vibes throughout it because I was going to mention that. I'm I'm running on fumes, so I'm just. It's gonna end it with movie good.
0: Hell yeah. movie
3: good! <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Ethan, let's go. Real quick though, we gotta launch into one thing, which I think is very funny, uh, with Andy's mentioning of uh, Mario Bava, because yes, this movie is is very very Bava in a lot of respects. I mean, more more like palatine. Funnily enough, in uh, June 1976, a preliminary draft of the film, the film script, was published, um, and it was attributed to Mario Bava because in <laughs> Japanese, V and B is a fluid consonant, and I, I just love that. A very, very intentional nod to his inspirations. But yeah, on the movie itself, I think, um, it kind of encapul- encapsulates the spirit of that bad pun a lot of ways. <laughs> um, it's, it's Mario Bava, but a bad pun. It, it's really interesting um, from the perspective of someone who watches like a lot of Japanese special effects stuff from the 70s and that sort of thing, um, because a lot of that is in the realm of you know, tokusatsu superhero works um and in science fiction um you had like ultra q which was a bit more twilight zoney but then otherwise it's ultraman and common and rider and that sort of thing and coming into um House, uh, it's kind of got that um, vibe to it, like um, in terms of like almost like a Super Sentai team, you know, a bunch of characters in bright colors, all themed around va- general personality traits, um, something that, you know, children could very easily glom on to going back to this uh, largely being like kind of a, a child's fever dream sort of film. Uh, it feels like it had to have inspired, um, I, I noted like early on in the film Fantasy uh, wears an outfit that's very similar to um, uh from say moon iconic uh pink overall fit which which makes sense uh, cuz this film like aside from really popularizing like idol media and the idol film as a, as a vehicle for idol performers and you know having its its fair share of kind of like cheesecake and and some some suspect long-term implications for the the burgeoning uh lolicon movement in Japanese media which I, I don't blame obayashi for there were just a lot of young men who really liked kung fu unfortunately <laughs> too much. Oh, th- it's worth noting that I feel like what kind of separates this from a lot of um, Tokusatsu superhero stuff is that it feels very shoujo in its way, um, like a like girl's comic, which, you know, makes sense considering the origin point coming from Obayashi's daughter as much as anything, which is a kind of a big turn from the from the mandom guy, <laughs> from the Charles Bronson mandom guy, in that, like, the you know, obviously largely female cast and theming, um, it's interesting that you see a lot of that resonating more in, like, later girl's. Works and that sort of thing, um, which I think is part of what makes it um, so much more compelling than it could be, like if it had a largely male cast or that sort of thing. I feel like it's it's carried by a lot of good performances. Um, I, I feel like is a relative term. They're very over the top. Like you can even tell, even if you aren't a native speaker. But I feel like that that is an element of the film that maybe isn't given enough credit. Um, is just how good uh, the girls are at playing uh, these sort of over the top roles. Um, because the rest of it is such a visual feast with these uh, delightful. Um, very obvious, and intentionally so, matte paintings and just hand-drawn uh, effects, compositing. It's just a smorgasbord of delightful effects work, um, and I love it. <laughs> um, there's so much to absorb um, throughout, um, from its its tone to its delightful Godaigo uh, soundtrack. It's, like, it's overwhelming how much good stuff is here, so I'm just going to leave it at uh, I really like it, and I'm glad that uh, I got to see it again.
0: Hell yeah. All great points all around. Every time I watch this movie, I enjoy it. I have a great time with it. There's just so much to love about it. I I love just like the way they implement the blue screen in a lot of that stuff. Like the whole story about how they got the effect of uh, the one character dissolving was just like they literally poured blue paint over this blue screen so that she would be disappearing on this, like, video effect. And just hearing about that was so fucking wild. He had such a hard time getting this movie made. It was this thing where it's like, he had this really unique, interesting idea, and people were interested, but, like, they didn't want to make it because they thought it would be a career ender. So like he just spends two years uh, building up this hype for this movie with like the manga that came out and the radio drama, all of these like publications and just all this media just hyping up this movie that hasn't even been approved yet. He's got this business card that just says house will be made. You really just have to admire the drive going into uh, just getting this movie made. And then the producer apparently wanted this movie movie to flop but then they were mad that it was successful. It was was funny to hear like it was very popular with children, uh, which makes sense, but it's also, thinking about that's just like, man, just imagine being a child watching this movie. <laughs> There's just so much to love it on just like a primal visual. Level. There's so many just like really striking shots, like the shot of the grandma just like eating the watermelon and then the eyeballs in her mouth. It's just so creepy. I do love that all of the characters, they don't have real names. They just have names based on their personalities. They're like the seven Dwarfs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like you could argue that uh, one of the weak points of this movie is that they have a character who's a fat joke. But the funny thing about that is that the character isn't even fat. Like she's literally just a yeah. skinny girl, <laughs> and they're like, "You're so fat!" Like that just, just like add, chubby cheeks. Yeah. Cheese. Like that just adds this level of absurdity to it that makes it funny in this weird way. I, I can't. I can't believe the movie was made. Uh, it had so much going against it, but the man had drive and uh, saw it to fruition and. Uh, we are all better for it. Uh, So we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back with some general discussion. Hey, wait a minute.
2: This,
4: This isn't House M.D.
0: And we're back and we're going to go into some general discussions. So if anyone has anything they'd like to talk about, the floor is open.
1: I think like a sign of a great movie is when you can't imagine it being done in any other medium. Like. I couldn't imagine a book of this being nearly as great of an experience, you know, nor a video game or, you know, insert medium of choice here, stage play radio drama, radio show. A yeah. manga. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, um, and I think the scene that I think really, um, might be my, maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie was the scene where they're on the train to the place and we get the, like, the aunt's backstory. Like, it's almost like they're half talking over the flashback, like they're watching it with us.
2: It's it's like breaking the fourth wall in a way, right?
0: I thought it was magical. Yeah, it
2: just really gets you into
0: that headspace of a child's mind. Yeah, speaking of that sequence too, um,
3: that footage and that whole backstory, that feels like it's probably the most notable remnant of uh, Hanagatami, of having worked on that, um, you know, really exploring the horrors and the general gravity of the um, Second World War, how it just seemed sort of all-encompassing a, a strategic redeployment of um, previously used assets, but in a, in a, in a good way. Um, I feel like the juxtaposition of the the very human tragedy of dying in a war, losing a loved one in a war with a bunch of giggling idols, um, sort of uh, half paying attention to it um, is, is really delightful um, in a... Particularly twisted way, which is the film and microcosm. Delightful in a really twisted way.
4: There was this thing uh from set to continue stealing from that documentary on the Blu-ray special features. Uh on a mm. scale of like, you know, Sam peckinpah Paw being a 10, most aggressive, Obayashi was over at the one, you know, the the kindest. Um he had trouble directing the kids with words, uh getting them to, you know, do stuff just by feeding them like normal director stuff. And so he'd play the soundtrack on set in order to get the kids. To sort of act better. So these people were like acting to music on set, kind of, yeah, you know, gave them like a, a sort of dancey quality in the final film. But I think that's just kind of funny to roll camera with the soundtrack blaring and just be like, do the take! It's very friendly.
3: Yeah. Uh, the, speaking of the soundtrack too, um, it, the, uh, vocal score was done by, uh, Godaigo, who some folks may know for, uh, the Galaxy Express 3-9 films. Uh, oh. they did the openings to those, um, and the music for or the, um, tokusatsu adaptation of Sayuki, uh, Monkey Magic, um, which was brought over to the UK as just monkey. Um, but what's interesting, I, I do kind of like is that the, uh, the, all the music is in English, much like the title, uh, the title is rendered, um, in Japanese, even as, as you know, oh. <laughs> but, um, an interesting connection is that the, uh, lead vocalist of Godaigo, uh Yukihide Takakawa also arranged the opening to the anime series Genesis Climber Maspira, or well composed the opening to Genesis Climber Mospira which was of course adapted into the third saga of the hit science fiction space opera <laughs> Robotech
4: <laughs> 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 I hate you
3: well I'm on the subject of, of robots um, that is the other connection is the Mandom connection the original proposal for Mobile Suit Gundam was called Freedom Fighter Gun Boy but they realized that that was a bad name so they decided that they would uh, from the Charles Bronson commercials which were very popular because you know mandom is a pun because it's it's man and freedom a man's freedom with your aftershave so they went gundom Gundamu instead of mandamu um, which I guess is like gun freedom which doesn't make any sense but it's a good name Um, so (laughs) Nohiko Obayashi uh, his excellent commercials has a loose connection To the popularity and success of one of the largest entertainment franchises on Earth. Don't tell the two way people
0: that Gundam is actually gun freedom. (laughs) Yeah.
4: I had a lot of fun on this rewatch with the Mr. Togo scenes where he's trying to get there. I didn't notice how funny those were on my first watch all those years ago.
0: The cut where uh, it's just the girls in the house and then suddenly the man's just eating ramen in her face and then they're at the ramen stand. With a bear. It's just With the bear. It's just so jarring and hilarious.
4: That guy was a country singer. M- mutton chops guy. He's a, he's a real country singer.
0: One of the things that my girlfriend mentioned after we watched it, and uh, I actually read a review that said the same thing is uh, the tune to the song that plays at house uh, very much resembles the opening melody mm-hmm. <laughs> of the Black Parade. Black Parade, yes! <laughs>
1: you can tell it clearly like there wasn't like a huge budget for the um for the soundtrack like it's you know a lot of it's just the same tune just done over and over again that same that piano tune but I think there's like something to just having a limited soundtrack, but like effective yeah. use of it. I, don't know, I was getting a lot of uh, Berserk 97 vibes yeah. and, and <laughs> Twin Peaks vibes. Yeah. It's just like you're hearing the same like three songs, but it's just uh, it really gets to you. Yeah. I
0: mean, th- when they do that, it's like really the music becomes a character. I remember watching Star mm-hmm. Wars as a kid, and like that was one of the things that like made me notice music in films is like how yeah. uh, certain songs would be recurring and they would this mood when you're hearing them again in like a different context. And this is why
4: the new The Batman Movie is the best movie ever, because of its very <laughs> obvious repeating light motif.
3: This film had two manga adaptations, uh, one by Mitsuru Miyura, uh, the author of uh, The Kabocha Wine, which is a uh, popular sort of rom-com <laughs> series, you know, good direction for you to go. But the other thing, there was another comic adaptation by uh, the shoujo mangaka Masako Watanabe. That sort of started, because again, like this movie was very popular among women, young women, uh, started a whole wave of shojo manga adaptations of horror films and to the point where there was a dedicated horror anthology uh, directed to, at a shoujo audience, which included manga adaptations of American classics like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Return of the Living Dead, which was renamed Battalion, Return of the Living Dead, where they made um, they made Suicide, a Bishonen hunk instead of a disgusting man with a big piece of headgear, amongst uh, many others, which again sort of shows the larger influence. And like if you look at Obayashi's films, like this film is an idol film the rest of his films become uh he becomes very popular as a director of these idol films Uh, the girl who leapt through time similarly is an idol vehicle uh with you know title song sung by her and everything um so he's sort of from here sort of transforming the larger landscape of japanese film um with his his cult film which is really cool and good he deserves it
0: hell yeah i think that's gonna wrap it up uh let's do some final thoughts i'll start with Austin. This is one of those movies like Fantastic Planet
4: or The Holy Mountain, where there's basically not much like it, but it can be enjoyed again and again if you just show it to new unsuspecting movie buffs. It's a cool flick. Check it out.
0: Joe, final thoughts? Uh,
5: Movie's pretty good, and because I've not been that jokey this podcast, I'll, I'll, I'll end on a joke based on a line of dialogue from this film. I think Christopher Nolan should go the route of Quentin Tarantino and just start wearing influences on his sleeve so I'm hoping that in the Oppenheimer movie coming out I hope when they drop the bomb in that Oppenheimer looks into the camera and says it looks like cotton candy that's all I gotta say (laughs) back to you
0: alright Rain final thoughts there's not many
1: movies I can think about that love being a movie as much as house loves being a movie so that's cool
3: nice Uh, Ethan final thoughts I liked revisiting this movie. I (laughs) liked um, sort of just checking its larger place in Japanese popular culture off in my head. Uh, Like it's so incredible on its own. Um, And then realizing what um, a shockingly huge footprint this film that we didn't get here in the West for, you know, decades. Uh, after its original release was pretty incredible Um, and it was, you know, just a joy to revisit and now I'm thinking about Obayashi films and how much I want to watch them again. So thank you. Nice. Uh, Andy, final thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, House is, actually, what Rain said, I, I love that House is making commentary about movies in general and relishing that it's a movie itself. It knows that there are boundaries that it likes to expand with like flexibility that you just don't really see. And another thing is that I love that House is one of those one of the kind movies that I think with genre stuff, specifically horror, which is kind of my bread and butter, right? When you want to introduce somebody to horror, typically you start with your own nation, your own country, so you show the American staples, and then you're like, okay, let's get into some foreign territory because there's some iconic movies. Italy, you can go with, you know, Dario Argento, you can go with whomever. I always go to Mario Bava, but uh, with Japan, House kind of stands on its own, and I think it's a great calling card to Japanese horror films. So, I, I really love it. Watch it. If you've never seen it, you have to watch it. And it's a great watch for this Halloween.
0: Absolutely. Hell yeah. Yeah. My final thoughts are it's it's great. It's definitely a one of a kind movie. It's just such a unique treat. And if you, if you want just to see something absolutely wild, uh, definitely check it out. So, yeah, that's going to do it for this podcast. Uh, Andy, thank you once again for coming on to the show. It's been a delight
2: having you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, would you like to do your plugs again? Oh, bully! Okay, so, hi. Uh, I run com, and we here in St. Louis, if you're in St. Louis, maybe you'll enjoy this stuff. So, Lena Night Grindhouse is something that we do in a theater, and uh, we show weird movies this month for the 16th and 17th. We're showing Don't Go in the House, which, uh, if you've never seen it, is essentially a Grindhouse version of Psycho, but it's uh, not a great cake, if I can say this. It's, it, it will leave a bad taste in your mouth. It's in the line of Bill Lustig's maniac... It's not a pretty movie, but it does have a killer disco song that plays a couple of times in the movie that will stick in your ear and your brain for a couple of uh, weeks to come, at least. Come out, it's a lot of fun. Tickets are 10 bucks. Starts at 10 p.m. We try to get you home early enough. We don't do the midnights anymore. So that's at Marcus DePere. Uh, You can go to latenightgrindhouse.com, L-A-T-E-N-I-T, grindhouse.com. Also, if you like horror movies, October 21st, We're doing horror trivia at the Heavy Anchor. Teams, $10, up to five players per team. That's all I'm going to say. Go to DestroyTheBrain.com for more.
0: Hell yeah. All right. So once again, that's going to do it for this podcast. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. If you are listening on the audio platforms, please uh, leave a review. Give us... Uh, Five stars, thumbs up, uh, whatever your audio platform of choice lets you do so that we can get boosted in algorithms or something else. I don't know. And uh, if you are watching on YouTube, uh, thanks for watching. Uh, Leave a comment below. Let us know. Uh, Have you seen House? What do you think of House? Why is House? Uh, Let us know. And uh, while you're down there, give us a like if you like the video. And uh, give us a subscribe if you want to see more. And hit that bell icon if you want updates on our stuff. Tune in next week when Ethan will be talking about The Last Unicorn, which surely will be a fun podcast and very much a great follow up to House. Uh, <laughs> They're both made in Japan. It's appropriate. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, once again, uh, thank you for tuning in. And uh, remember let the music consume you. Farewell.